Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 explores The Great Debate, a special series discussing the future of public health policy in America. Smokers in our practice. What we should know about how population-level controls impact our patients who want to quit. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a focus on public health policy. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ursula Bauer. Dr. Bauer is a PhD epidemiologist and the director of the Bureau of Tobacco Use Prevention and Control at the New York State Department of Health. Her group has written extensively about population-level controls, smoking, and health results. Dr. Bauer comes to us today from her office in Albany, New York. And today we'll be talking about the impact of population-level controls and how they impact our patients who want to quit. Ursula, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate your time. We understand from a lot of the literature that there are population-level controls that have been effective in various states, New York being one of the more prominent ones. How about telling us a little bit about your own personal background, how you got interested in this topic, how you got focused on population controls and, and tobacco. I'm an epidemiologist by training, and therefore I think of the community as my patient. And my approach to public health, along with many others, is to focus on that community environment and how we can change that community environment to support a positive health behavior, for example, a tobacco-free norm. And we have heard, of course, that there are a number, maybe a short list of population-level controls that have had an impact, not just in New York, but around the country. What's your thinking about how these population-level controls impact individual smokers? Yeah, I want to talk about three kind of general population-level interventions that are known to be very effective in pushing smokers into cessation, bringing down our rates of smoking and tobacco use. And those are price, keeping the price of tobacco products and cigarettes in particular high so that smokers have to feel the cost of the cigarette when they're actually making that purchase every day. We know that when prices are high, when they're increased, the number of smokers who are smoking is going to be reduced and individual smokers are going to cut down on the number of cigarettes they smoke. Smoke-free air laws is another set of interventions that make it more difficult for the smoker to smoke. Of course, they protect non-smokers from the toxins in secondhand smoke, but they also make that individual smoker a little bit more uncomfortable with their addiction and make smoking just a little bit more inconvenient. The third intervention is media. And we know that tobacco companies have been very effective in using marketing strategies to seduce children in particular into becoming smokers and to kind of normalize smoking as a normative behavior in our society. We try to use media to counter that and to reduce the social acceptability of smoking, to drive home to smokers the dire health effects of smoking, and to really put pressure on the smoker to want to quit and to try to quit. We hope that these kinds of interventions sort of targeted at the population 
are going to increase the level of discomfort that the smoker has with his or her addiction, make them more open to the idea of quitting, make them try to quit, and make them more responsive to the signals that are out there for them to quit. And that's particularly important to uh, physicians and and to clinicians generally. What we want to do is send to that healthcare setting, to that physician's office, a patient who is much more ready to quit, much more receptive to that physician's advice to quit. So it's fair to say then that in environments where uh, various laws or price or media have had an effect that we as practicing physicians are going to see hopefully more smokers who want to quit, maybe more committed to quit because of the uh, the world they're living in. Exactly. That's the hope. And I wouldn't say that physicians should simply wait, though, for that receptive smoker to walk through the door asking for quit assistance. This really needs to be a partnership where we're working at the community level to kind of soften up that smoker, raise quitting to the top of their agenda, increase their discomfort with their addiction. At the same time, that the healthcare system and the physician are telling them very clearly that this is a behavior that is uh, very harmful to their health and a behavior that needs to stop. Do you have any sense of what the more common perceived barriers are to quitting from the patient's point of view? Well, you know, cigarettes contain nicotine, and nicotine is uh, highly addictive. It's a drug that that the brain likes when it's gotten used to it and, and wants more of it. Cigarettes are also an extremely effective drug delivery device. Probably the best way to get nicotine to the brain in the shortest amount of time is to inhale it from a cigarette. You know, when we think of cigarettes, we might think of tobacco, kind of the leaf taken from the plant, dried in the barn, shredded up and rolled up in some paper and smoked. That may have been true in the 1800s, but over the hundred years of the last century, cigarettes have become very highly engineered. Everything about that cigarette is designed to keep the smoker addicted and to deliver that nicotine to the smoker's brain within 7 to 10 seconds. So quitting smoking is quite a challenge. It's a challenge not unlike controlling blood pressure and managing diabetes. We need to think of it, quitting smoking, as a chronic relapsing condition that really needs to be managed in the healthcare setting in the same way that we're managing diabetes, we're managing high blood pressure, we're trying new medications when one medication fails, we're offering advice and support and guidance and education, and we're doing this year after year after year if we need to. If you're new to our channel, you're listening to a focus on public health policy on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ursula Bauer, and we're discussing the impact that population-level controls have on our patients who want to quit. So, Ursula, we've talked about some of the challenges out there from the patient's point of view and some ways we as physicians may want to uh, incorporate that into our practice, how we might look at it as a chronic disease, much as we take care of hypertension or diabetes, and I, I like that model. Are there resources out there that are available to docs to help them with this challenge? Yeah, the key resource that every physician should be familiar with is the Public Health Service Guide to Treating Tobacco Use and Dependence, the Clinical Practice Guideline for Treating Tobacco Use and Dependence. 
This is available online, can be downloaded from the Surgeon General's website, www.surgeongeneral.gov. And there's a quick reference guide as well as a very long, involved research document supporting the recommendations in the guideline. But it really walks the clinician through how to approach the tobacco-using patient, what treatments to offer, how to provide the motivational guidance and the brief interventions, and what to do with that patient who's really resistant to the idea of quitting. So this clinical practice guideline is really essential reading for all clinicians. Good advice. Ursula, you've been writing, your group's been writing on these issues for a while now. What kind of feedback do you get from your colleagues? You know, bringing down smoking rates is very hard work. It's hard work from the perspective of a Department of Health. It's certainly very hard work from the perspective of the physician who's really on the front lines treating patients every day. And I would say as a piece of advice, we just need to persevere and stick with it. You know, what I hear from clinicians, I think appropriately so, is that it's very frustrating, you know, day after day to be advising patients to quit and seeing how difficult it is and feeling like that advice just isn't being heard or the treatments that are offered are not that effective. I'd make two points. One is that we do have effective treatments out there, and there seem to be more and more effective treatments hitting the market every year. And so we need to be ready to offer these new treatments as they become available and also use the existing effective treatments, for example, the nicotine replacement therapy. The other point I'd like to make, though, is that even though it seems like a hard slog, we are making a difference. Simply advising your patient to quit doubles the likelihood that they're going to be successful with their quit attempt. From my point of view, that's dramatic. If I can double that background quit rate from 2 or 3% a year to 4 or 5% a year, that makes a huge difference here in New York and across the country. From the clinician's point of view, they see 100 patients, they advise every one of them to quit, and instead of the three people who might have quit anyway, they boost that up to five or six. That certainly seems very discouraging, but it's very important work that needs to be done. And with these population-based interventions that departments of health are putting into place, I'm confident that that patient is going to be more receptive and we are going to see higher quit rates moving forward. What's your group going to be working on in the future? We have a very ambitious goal here in New York to reduce the number of smokers by 1 million by 2010. When we established this goal in 2005, there there were 3 million smokers in New York. So we'd like to get that down to 2 million by 2010. We will continue with the population-based strategies that we've been talking about, but we will add some more targeted interventions to reach smokers in ways that will sort of perpetuate themselves over time. For example, working with healthcare organizations to implement systems that will ensure that every patient is screened for tobacco use. Every clinician is prompted to offer that effective advice to quit when they're meeting with a tobacco user and that the effective treatments will be offered as well. We're also looking at our populations with higher than average tobacco use rates. 
for example, those that go through our substance abuse treatment systems or those that go through our mental health treatment systems? And how can we work with those providers to ensure that the patients, and there are on any given day 100,000 of them going through the substance abuse treatment systems here in New York, how can we address tobacco use in that population or in the mental health population? How can we reach out to our rural areas more effectively to ensure that they're getting the same kinds of interventions that those in the more populated areas are getting? So we're looking at where we have higher than average rates of tobacco use and what we can do potentially in a more targeted way to ensure that those populations are getting the intensity of intervention that the, the, the general population is. I want to thank Dr. Ursula Bauer, who's been our guest. We've been discussing the impact that population-level controls have on our patients who want to quit. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157 and The Great Debate, a month-long special series and discussion on the future of public health policy in America.